Let's go. Welcome back to Bingetown TV. This is a very special episode as we are finally, finally, the wheel has turned enough for us to be covering Amazon's Wheel of Time, which if you haven't heard over the past six plus months is based on the famous fantasy series by Robert Jordan. I have waited an unbelievable amount of time for this. I guess a little background. So I'm Kyle. I'll probably end up being the host for a lot of these Wheel of Time episodes. So I've read the main series completely. So I'll kind of be the host. Luke has also been diving into the books a little bit. So Luke, why don't you give them a little background of where you're at? Yeah, so we're recording this on October 14th. And it's about, what, a, a month before the Wheel Time mm-hmm. show drops. And about, I don't know, three months ago, I started audiobooking the Wheel Time series. So right now I'm about halfway to three quarters of the way through the second book. And from our knowledge and the little hints that the showrunners have given us, season one is going to cover all of book one and then parts of book two. So I think from a book standpoint, I have all the knowledge that season one is going to give us. But absolutely loving the series. I'm going to be finished by the time season two comes out. Damn. Oh, there you go. You're saying season three, you're going to give us a little cushion. (laughs) It's definitely a, it's definitely a big meal. So in the last couple of days, I jumped on the audiobook bandwagon and I'm only about six chapters in, um, part of episode one. So I kind of can see what's going on with episode one. Don't have the knowledge that Kyle and Luke have, but I'm already enjoying what I'm, what I'm hearing, I guess, technically with the audiobooks. Hello, Bingetown. My name is Dave, and I have zero knowledge of the books at all. I don't know. I don't know if I'll. Yeah, I don't know if I'll ever get into the books. We'll see how the series goes. I'm not much of a big reader, so we'll see how that beast goes. But yeah, these episodes were really good, and I'm definitely super excited to get into the meat of the seasons as they go on. Just because Kyle and Luke have been hyping this up for a very long time. The last thing I want to say is before I'll, I'll pass it off. We are going to be doing a full deep dive of the episodes on the podcast, but this is just going to serve as an instant reaction. We're not going to get too deep into the details. We didn't even have enough chance, enough time to take notes. So this is going to be your gut reaction and just surface level conversations and just build build a little hype. Yeah. And going back to Dave, we like to have on this podcast some subject matter experts, some people who might have a little knowledge and some people who have don't, don't have any knowledge at all because we are... When it comes down to it, a TV slash movie podcast, and we are talking about the show, even though we will talk about the books. So we want to see what it's like for someone who doesn't know anything. So that's why Dave is perfect for this right now. These SMEs are going to have to really carry me through these uh, episodes here. And I guess another thing to note is that the the name pronunciations, all fans of the series know that the, the names can get a little crazy at times. There is a glossary at the end of every book that does spell out all the pronunciations. But if you would be so kind to give us a little grace on these pronunciations, especially our newbies, as we start to dive oh, yeah. in to this show. Let me just start by saying to all of our listeners, and Kyle, you can attest to this. We have a group chat for our Town TV hosts. And when Kyle turned on the pre-screeners and saw episode one, he said, I cannot stop smiling right now. I cannot believe this is happening. So good reviews. If I'm honest, we saw the entire kind of main cast that we get. Rand, Matt, Perrin, Egwene, and Nynaeve, and then Moraine and Lan. So obviously I just threw a bunch of names out, but seeing them on screen all interacting, I am not lying. I teared up a little bit in my <laughs> bed. It was just kind of reading the books. It's such a long journey, and these characters will change so much. When we, when we were talking about the show in the final season, in a decade, we're going to look back on these episodes and just be blown away by what they all looked like and were like then compared to what we're now experiencing at the end of this season, or I'm sorry, the end of this series. So for me, knowing the journey they're all about to go on, it just like is very emotional. You're going to bring mm-hmm. a tear to my eye because now I'm thinking <laughs> like 10 years from now, Bingetown's going to be fucking a million listeners deep for <laughs> on top of the world at that point in time. Uh, so shout out to everyone that's here right now. So what... I learned probably within, I got super into the fantasy genre over the last year and a half. And one thing I learned is that there's a subgenre of fantasy and it's called progressive fantasy. 
And Wheel of Time is like the face of progressive fantasy. This is picture perfect of what progressive fantasy is, is where you're starting off as a random little peasant farm boy. And then we're going to make our way all the way to the point where you just get exponentially stronger and stronger and stronger. It's character development taken to the fullest extent. And when Mm -hmm. you're when you're dropping magic into a character development terminology like that, it can leap levels, right? You're going to be like. I don't know. I, I don't know anything about the end. I don't have any spoilers past where I am, but I'm assuming we're going to become like you saw how Moraine used the magic. We're going to become gods by the end. I feel like mm-hmm. they're all unbelievable. The CGI for this show just blew me away. Like just seeing them use the fucking magic system. I, I just I was so happy with it because that's going to put the bar for this show high enough where you could show it to anybody and at least the bare minimum they'll be able to say is that there was good production value of this show and Amazon is not going to let that go. They're just going to keep fucking the budget is going to keep getting better and better as the story gets deeper. And I'm just super excited, as you're saying, to see where these characters become when we look back on season one. I was so blown away by how good the Trollocs look. So we know that at the end of episode one, it's referred to as winter night, everyone is having a good time and dancing and Honestly, the square dancing was funny because it reminded me of seventh grade middle school with sweaty palms. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, square dancing. Wallies. Yeah. And then we have a Trolloc attack and everything goes to shit immediately. Everything is now on fire. There are Trollocs just coming with wicked axes and weapons, pretty much killing, devouring all of the, the residents of Emmonsfield. And I'm just curious to Jimmy and Dave, because you guys had no knowledge that this was coming at the time you saw the episodes. What was that tone switch like in episode one for you? Yeah, that was zero to a hundred, man. It was crazy. And and we already said it. The CGI, phenomenal. These things are terrifying looking. They look as real as they can look, all the way to that down to the slobber coming down from their teeth. It is just unbelievable. But I didn't know like how deep we're gonna get into like fantastical beasts and things like that. So when the attacks came, obviously we see the hooded figure and you know he's not really human or you're guessing he's not really human. And he's the first one you see that's like that. But I wasn't expecting a full army of these beasts to come and attack. So that was very shocking to me. And I was like, let's go. <laughs> I'll be honest. The first. So it was an hour episode. I would say like the first 45 minutes for me, I wasn't really that hooked just because, you know, we're introduced to all these characters, these traditions this culture that we don't really even still have like background to so you know it's just a lot of introductions so it kind of started off slow which it it obviously has to but by the end of episode one i was 100 i was like yes i'm in that's what i honestly had a little bit so i watched it with dave in person and then another one of our roommates who again also had zero knowledge of wheel time and i had a little bit of anxiety watching it with you guys because I knew that this is going to be like season one of Game of Thrones. There's so many seeds that need to get planted. Yeah, exactly. Do you know how many people watched Game of Thrones, including me, when season one came out? And I just did not really continue. It was like before the curve and before season three, when it pops off and becomes global. This show is not going to take it that slow. But I noticed, at least in the first three episodes, the first half hour, at least, is a little bit slower. And it's by design. You need to we need to build these relationships between the Edmund Field five and we need to kind of do all the world building lifting that you need to do. Like season one's always going to be like that for an epic fantasy, but for them to just crush it at the end of episode one and just show Mm -hmm. the threat level that we're dealing with. And not only from the bad guys, but from the good guys at what we can combat with. Cause dude, you, you guys had no idea how strong Moraine was going to be the, Mm -hmm. the Aes Sedai or the witch, which we might refer to her as for this episode at least, but that was just such a good level set of, who this dark one and what he's bringing to the table is going to be like. And maybe it felt a little slower just because, you know, at least from what you guys were telling me, you know, there's going to be magic, you know, there's going to be some twist in that regard, but these characters start off as literal peasants. Like you don't excluding the first scene, which is when the Aes Sedai kill that guy. Besides that, it's just all farm work. It's like, you don't really see any magic, anything. So it is a little, it feels a lot longer than it actually is. The first book of Wheel of Time is called Eye of the World, which is like Luke had mentioned earlier, a lot of the season will be based off of. And it is kind of made in the the Tolkien mold because in the 90s, it was kind of an easy marketing tactic to start writing books because everyone was kind of looking a little bit for the next Lord of the Rings. It was an easy style and structure for fans to kind of latch onto. 
So a lot of the first book in the early Wheel of Time is following that magical person, Gandalf, Moraine, come to the village, mm-hmm. find a peasant who has never been outside of their village in their entire right. lives. And explain and now, eventually that they're like a chosen one. Yeah, they have this destiny they need to fulfill. They have some mission that they didn't know was a thing until today. And now they have to go as far as they've ever been from their from their home in their entire lives. And they have all of this responsibility thrusted on them exactly. with unbelievable danger on their heels that basically they thought was just myth and nightmare, which is now come alive to them. It's just so <laughs> crazy when you're presented that opportunity, when you've just lived this simple life for so long, and then all of a sudden one person shows up who you know isn't really that trustworthy because it seemed like people are against the Aes Sedai, or at least they have a negative reputation. And then for this, for them to tell you all this stuff and that you have to follow this person that you don't fully trust, it's like, do you like, how do you go through with that? And I love that conflict that they brought in in episode two with, I think uh, it was Rand who was like, I'm not following you. Like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. And Kyle, let me ask you this question as someone who's just starting to read the books. You can tell in the books that she comes in more as a stranger, but they think she's like a lady and they're kind of looking up to her and saying like, oh my gosh, what is she doing here? She's like from a fairy tale. But when episode one happens and she walks in the room, everyone's like, oh, that change is by design because of moving to the medium of television. So it's funny that we talked about how most maybe like three quarters of episode one is a little slow because they have to establish everything. Well, the books themselves are slower than that. Right. In the sense that Moraine and Lan, like that whole scene that we, the epic scene we see at the end of episode one, where she's throwing bricks and she's twisting all of these Trollocs up and the lightning, that is all off screened in the books. We get the aftermath of it. Right. And she comes mm-hmm. in uh, somewhat under an alias. It's, it's not as brazen as her and Lan kicking down the door basically at the wine right. spring in and being like, hey, here's my eyes to die ring. Like, get me a yeah. stable and a bed. But for the show, it does make a little sense for them to kind of skirt all that thing along because we need to get moving a little bit. There's only eight episodes in the season itself. So that's kind of something that people like me, book watchers, will kind of have to try to give them the benefit of the doubt for these types of changes. And I think in my mind, speaking specifically on this thing, worked out perfectly for me. I thought it was fine. And then Mm -hmm. a lot of other changes they made too, I thought were perfectly fine. Another big change, and Jimmy, you'll start picking up on this because this goes right off the back of what Kyle was just saying. A lot of things aren't necessarily off screened in the books, but he doesn't, Robert Jordan, the writer of the series, doesn't explicitly do a lot of the darker stuff. But because of how things happen and how characters react, you, it's just assumed that these, this dark, very, very dark stuff is happening. And that's right. why it's amazing to see this change. And people were worried, is it going to look too dark compared to the book But and, and be unfaithful? along those lines but i i think it's great because when i'm reading the books i'm assuming the worst like i'm assuming grim dark tell you right now there's one character i most certainly would not want to be and that is perrin oh yes yeah my gosh while we're on the subject of dark and harshness might as well this there will be if you haven't seen the first episode (laughs) well you should stop listening to the yeah right yeah (laughs) okay we'll put that out there but at that that moment specifically is actually what sold the show to me because yeah, we've seen like uh, magic battles like that to that caliber in certain shows, but it's those individual deaths and twists that make a series. And when Perrin fucking looks up and him and his girlfriend or wife are fucking those Trollocs up <laughs> and then he's still on guard. Cause it's so realistic. You're like you yeah. would be on edge. And if you hear something behind you, you're swinging that fucking ax and lo and behold, it was his fucking wife. And I was sitting there like, no fucking way. I like yelled out loud. Yeah. And that happened. I did not see that coming at all. So that's another thing from the books, though, because, you know, I'm just analyzing this from the perspective of coming fresh off book one. And I see this girl parents like hugging up on her. And I'm like that. Who the fuck is this girl? Because she's not in the books. And they just used it to add on to the tragedy of of shaping parent and like the, the kind of character he is, because at the end of book at the end of episode one, He's just like a zombie on the horse. Oh, yeah. Chasing um, my my two roommates, Chase and Dave, were uh, <laughs> just like saying like, holy shit, look at that, dude. He, he, they would have they said they would have rather have been any other person except for him. Mm-hmm. It totally makes sense. A, a big part of Perrin's character early in the books in the series is that he is such a big guy. He always grew up bigger than everyone else. He's always described as this like big, burly man. He, he is a blacksmith like apprentice like he is basically jacked as fuck yeah. and but he's also quiet because it's part of his personality that he 
doesn't want to scare people. He doesn't want to like make sudden moves or do a bunch of stuff because he knows that he can hurt people really easily. So he mm-hmm. doesn't really speak loudly. He likes to think things through and stuff. And I think it's it was easier for them in a way to show that level of tragedy, what he's capable of that blatantly on screen so that now we have him in episodes two and three where he's very quiet. He looks haunted by these things. You can tell he's really shaken up about it, but he's also becomes very protective of Egwene at the beginning. I believe it says episode three, or maybe the end of episode two, when they're trying to start the fire really quickly. And he's like, yep. I got it. I got it. Like, I, I got it. I got it. He's trying to protect her so much. And that's just like the essence of his character. And I really think that instead of having the internal monologue or people just endless exposition of people reminding us that he is like that, that quick scene, which unfortunately is the end of his wife really lays that out for us. And I thought that was well done, honestly. And this goes perfect into what we were talking about with standards of like, at least the magic when Moraine's using the magic, it just sets the standards. Like no one is safe really, which is what we loved personally. What I loved most about game of Thrones, those kinds of shows is like, if you set that standard of no one is safe, I'm in just keep me on the edge of my seat. Let me know that everyone's life is always at risk. No matter who it is, there's no MC armor, you know? So as much as I love Perrin, Perrin is actually my favorite character from the entire series. So that's a little bit of a spoiler alert, I guess, that he's just a beast. That's my boy. I love him to death. But we can (laughs) move on to someone we haven't really mentioned a lot for this instant reaction, and that's Matt. Uh, Yes. Matt is somewhat consensus the favorite character of the entire series for people. I can see it already. He's already kind of like, I know he's a, a thief and he just takes things but like i can already tell that that personality and he's just going to have such a big transition i feel like that i am already on board with matt even though he's a piece of shit right now yeah he has that little roguish grin to him he's a little gambler in the tavern he wants to keep drinking and flirting up the chicks it's just like very crowd pleasing yeah but he's got that softness to him where he wants to take care of his sisters and it's like eats him up inside that he had to leave them Kyle, actually, when we talk about real time holistically and the book series as a whole, and he's not going to ever give me spoilers or anything like that, but he does always mention that he thinks Matt's going to become my favorite character. And I think Matt is the worst of them so far where I am. But also that's that's also what he tells me that it's kind of consensus that he has a little rough start in the series, the books that is, but the show you have to keep this in mind and I'm absolutely sorry if you haven't heard this and you're listening to this podcast, but the actor who plays Matt actually had some off screen issues. I don't think it's been publicized yet, but he's already been recast and theories they're flying around, but whatever it is, just don't get super attached to his face. And it sucks because I liked them. I so know far. I was, I'm watching the whole time. I'm like, I don't love this guy. I die. I'm convincing myself. I know, I the actor, it, but the actor, he did a good job. And he did really his, well. His story is cool. And Kyle, remind me if this is true or not, but are the sisters made up? No, the sisters are real. I just don't really remember all that like happening. He, I guess they add it more to make it yeah, more dramatic. So the only thing they changed, like the relationship between his parents. I think it just gives him a little more tragedy, which it does because he kind of becomes he has the man little, of the house. And, yeah, like the sole yeah. protector of, of his sisters. I think that, like you said, Jimmy, I think that adds a nice dimension to his character a little bit. Mm. I think that's why I was so attached to Matt early on is because even though we knew, even though we saw him be a scumbag at the end of the day, he saved his sisters like his parents were like, we don't know where they are. It's like great parents. You fucking are. And then we get to in episode three where it's just Matt and Rand after they've all been split up after they go to a shatter Logoth and the city for you guys that Dave, like the big city with the shadows at the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Matt, the whole time when they're there is I'm going to get back to home. I got to get back to my sisters, to the girls while Rand assumes the perspective of we got to go, we got to go to Tarvalin. We got to go meet up with Egwene, which was an interesting switch where earlier in their journey, when they first leave kind of Rand wants to be the one to turn back almost and go mm-hmm. away. And then shit hits the fan one time. And Matt is like that. We got to go back home. Like I got to go see the girls. So I thought that was interesting. And I want to clarify one other thing, because something I noticed pretty explicitly in the show is they constantly refer to the city of Tarvalin as the white tower. Yeah. Which is just like the, and I don't even really know that is the white tower just where all the witches, the, the Aes Sedai train, right? Like that's like yeah. the home base within the city. Mm-hmm. They so they, they constantly say white tower in the show. So whenever we say Tarvalin, cause they use that way more liberally in the book. Um, it's the same thing. Like the whole journey that 
when they leave the Emmons Field, this, the village that they start in is to go there and bring who they think is prophecies about to the witches and keep them safe and mm-hmm. nurture and stuff like that. So the White Tower is probably what most people who haven't read the books is going to recognize that. As. Most sounds like as Witcher fan as a Witcher fan, it's like Kyra Morin for the Witchers kind of just, exactly it's the like home that. base. Yeah. Kyra Morin would be the White Tower, and then the city is just like a okay. huge base around it. Got it. Like enormous, like Game of Thrones level big. Elantris. Yeah. Or Elantris. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Brandon Sanderson. <laughs> All right, so Kyle slash Luke, but you can't answer this question for me, but I just need to know, man, like, is Ruse Bolton going to come back and do some more to the story? I mean, you can't answer it, but Ruse Bolton's the man, and we got a little action from Tam. I, I was I was impressed with our with our first three episodes with him, but it, obviously it seems like they left him behind. I don't think this is too much of a spoiler to, to answer that question. Uh, Tam does have more influence on the story as we go on. I don't think it's crazy to even say that now. I mean, he is the father of, of one of the main characters. Right. All of their parents impact the story at some point. There's one thing about Wheel of Time is that every time you meet a character and you get their name, there's a chance that they're going to come back into the story and play some type of role, no matter how big or small they are. People just kind of constantly in the terminology of the series get woven back into it. So everyone kind of has their own little small part to play. And a lot of these characters that we've met in these first three episodes are going to consistently make an impact throughout the whole story. And let's let's jump right off of that into Rand. Tell me what you guys thought about him as a character. To be honest, I was just thinking about this. I love all the characters, to be honest, which is, I feel like, rare for me, particularly, because that really dictates how a show is going to be. I know that's not totally accurate, but I fell in love with... I was looking at my list of characters right here, and I'm just like, there's not a single person on here that I'm like, fuck that person. Like, I hate them, you know? Everyone was great. I think, to me, it seems like Rand is almost the MC so far. Like, he's almost the guy within the the, the five of them traveling, but... I think overall he was a great character. I think he's going to have, he just has a lot to go. Like uh, there's a long way to go. He is also kind of the loudest, not proponent. Cause that's actually the opposite word that I'm looking for, but he's the one that rails against Moraine the most. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah. definitely the most vocal out of all the characters that we don't know what the fuck's going on. Like how, why are we just trusting these people immediately? Yeah. Um, so that's why it kind of gives him a lot of focus, I think, in the beginning, because he, he is one of the loudest dissenting voice. Of he was everyone. he was me. I mean, and like I said earlier, he if I'm forced to trust this woman, like, you know, I would be that person that's like, I'm not going with you. Like, why do I have to trust you? And he was that for me. Yes. OK. So one thing I wanted to make sure that I said was where I've gotten in the book, like what I've read since I've watched these, um, the three episodes, like a week and a half, two weeks ago, whenever we got the, the, the pre-screeners, like where I got into the book, I appreciate how much to how how those interactions with Rand and Moraine went so much more because of stuff that happens in the future. And like mm-hmm. the writers knew this when they were writing the show. And I was like, damn. I was a little weirded out by it when it happened in the episode, but it makes so much more sense where the story is going to go. And I just, I think that was great. And I don't know, it's going to be a huge swirl, but Rand acting that way and you guys picking up on that, it makes me, makes me happy that they're doing the job that I didn't think they wanted to do, but they actually definitely did. And it was good. And Kyle, we might want to wait and talk about this during the deep dive because I do see a similar situation where there's a little bit of a difference between the book and the show and it might just be like turbo drive just getting us where we need to be but I did really enjoy how the show pretty much right from the start cemented Egwene and Rand as an actual couple and it shows on screen the pain that they're feeling the joy for a second, the the loathing, like the selfishness. It's just it's jumping all over the place throughout the three episodes. And it's what you would feel as a lover or, you know, as someone who loves the other person. And, you know, I thought there was a first watching the episode. I was like, OK, there I hope and I don't think it's going to happen. But there's like a chance that Rand could just be like the the vanilla main character who's just going to be like the chosen one. And because I don't know anything better, but I thought they did a really good job in these first three episodes, giving him his own personality and character just to just cementing him with Egwene. Rand and Egwene have a very complicated relationship in the series. And I agree with you. They did a really good job of bringing out all of that emotion in these Mm -hmm. first three episodes, because 
I mean, episode one, they they bang in the episode. Right, right. And then episode two-ish, they start to kind of drift apart. And then we get to three and they're literally physically apart. And you yep. see how the impact it has on Rand, especially. So I agree. I think they did a really good job of that. It's definitely and- really more romantic in the show. Yeah. Than it ever is in the books. But a part of that is also that they age the characters exactly. up in the That's show. That's what I was going to ask. Older. Yeah, they're in the... In the books, they're a little younger. I think Egwene might even be like 15 or 16. So this is like Rand, a Game like of Thrones 17. thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's so like, we, nice that they're older. We can get into a little bit more yeah. romantic stuff like that. We can get into kind of those more adult-ish themes, which I think will will be a good benefit to the show to attracting a lot better, or not even better, but just a more general audience as well. Yeah, I mean, like Game of Thrones, they're acting like Daenerys is an adult, but in the book, she was like 13 in season one, technically, or something like that. And the show is much better for it. Right, exactly. So speaking, I guess, of Egwene, we haven't talked about her much. There's much more to her character than just being Rand's side piece. Oh, yeah. Um, she is clearly very strong-willed. We even see her in episode two. She starts to not develop the gift, but Moraine tells her that, hey, you can channel the way that I channel. You can use the one power. I can teach you how to be an Aes Sedai like me. And I just I'm curious of what you two thought of that from the get go of we've seen Moraine kick fucking ass episode one. Oh, yeah. And then we see kind of Egwene's reaction to the whole Trolloc attack where she's running around with Nynaeve. She's completely shell shocked. She's crying. She's freaking out almost. And then episode two, almost right after that, the next day, we learn that Egwene could eventually become like Moraine was that night. So what do you yeah. think about that? I think the one thing that I will say, starting with episode one, was I was a little bit confused when it came to the braid thing. Like, I was actually thinking when I was watching that she was becoming an Aes Sedai. Like, not that I knew that word, but I was assuming that that braid and they pushed her off the edge meant like you are becoming one of the people that can use the magic not just a situation where when you become an adult as a woman in that town or whatever village, you get the braid. That's how it is in the books, right? That's, That's exactly all. what it was. Yeah. And it's funny that you said that because Dave actually said that. I don't even know if you remember this, but you were confused a little bit about the braid too after we were just like walking around the house talking. And that's exactly what it is. It has yeah. nothing to do with the magic of the eyes to die. It's right. about becoming a, a woman. And let's also clarify real quick on the title because so what's happening in the beginning is Nynaeve, who was one of our other main characters that we haven't gotten to talk about yet, is is she's the one who pushes Egwene off the mm-hmm. cliff and to to test her to becoming a real woman and whatever all that. So Nynaeve's role in the village is it's called a wisdom. Mm-hmm. And from my understanding, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, the wisdom is like a semi-similar title to the Maester. Yeah. Yeah. And we find out, I think, I don't honestly remember it's in the book of the show, but you, you, she, Nynaeve wanted Egwene to become mm-hmm. the next wisdom, like, like an apprentice. And that's why she has, they have such a close relationship. And when shit's hitting the fan, they're together. They're like, she cares for Egwene and all that. And just the idea that Nynaeve wanted to train her in that way. Like it, it, they just have like a close connection. Keep that in mind. But yeah, that's, yeah. that's just what was going on there. It wasn't anything to do with the magic. Like these, these guys are so secluded from any of this, bigger picture magic before Moraine comes to the village that they know nothing about that. Yeah. And that's the riff between Rand and Egwene is she more openly, as far as I know now, because I'm only six chapters into the book, but she pretty much straight up tells him, you know, I'm thinking of being the apprentice. And he says out loud, that means you're going to have a lonely life and pretty much means you're not going to be with me. And that's where and that's where the riff comes later, where she's like, you're being selfish. We have a journey and all you care about is this shit, you know? So I thought that was a really strong uh, part for her to have when she actually stands up to him and fights back because he was being an ass at that point. Yeah, I kind of I kind of signed it with Rand a little bit because he was just pissed at her because she made her decision. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not pissed at him for ha- being upset. But the scene in, I believe it's episode two, where they're like in the cave and they're hiding. And he's kind of just being like a 12 year old, being a dick to her and ignoring her and stuff while they know that they're kind of stuck together still. And they they have this journey that they need to take. And he's like, oh, well, you know, if you want to fucking go with, you know, do your thing with naive, then just go do it, bro. And she's like, stop being a little baby. Like I was on her side for that. I think those kind of 
moments hit a little bit better in the book too because they are younger and they're a little yeah. bit more naive and like adolescents and they also don't bang or anything like that so oh it's like yeah they, it's like the early stages of flirting in middle school or high yep. school so it makes more sense but the, so but they kept the formatting the same even though they aged them up so i see where they're coming from but i also can see the complaint about not mm-hmm. loving that i also will say that they live in this very small secluded town and it's basically been agreed upon that these two are going to get married they've been pretty much not betrothed to each other but it's been kind of like a foregone conclusion they do have that nice scene where um rand or i'm sorry tam is telling rand how he used to pick all of the berries Mm -hmm. and give them to Egwene when they were younger and then he pulls the slick move where he pulls the berry out of his pocket (laughs) when they're doing the dishes and then my man gets some ass like a bus yeah but I mean, I think you're supposed to think that Rand's a little petulant in that scene. Yeah, yeah. So that's I just think that they've done a good job of characterizing their relationship and how they're kind of slowly, even at this point in this, I mean, we're fucking 23 episodes in, but they're slowly going on their own journeys and becoming a little bit of individuals. Yeah. Which their entire lives so far have been growing up so close together i mean there's only you only got three choices of who you're gonna bang in the village back in the day (laughs) yeah exactly yeah and it doesn't make me not like him any less or anything like that it's just it's an obvious flaw that anyone could have in a time of feeling you know upset or you know you know uh, betrayed kind of you know I, i do also think that that's one of the strongest points of will of time is that all of these characters are so flawed they all have such realistic downsides to them and these things that you read them do and it's like motherfucker like why are you doing that and then you realize <laughs> it, this is actually fucking realistic these right. guys are not that old like they're getting thrust into this world that they have n- no idea what the fuck's going on so they constantly make these kind of mistakes and i feel like it just makes them feel a lot more human and it's much easier to relate to them now let's talk really quick about land man we haven't s- land man we haven't we haven't talked favorite. about him really. Yeah, I was oh, gonna like say him more than Perrin. He, he's out of everyone. I mean, yes, definitely. He was just I love those badass strong characters, and I know obviously Moraine is, is is the most strong person in the world that we've seen so far. But just having that side badass character, I I love that. Oh yeah, you can safely explain at least the warder I said I relationship. Did they explicitly show it in the show when she gets hurt? He does, I think. Yeah, yeah they say it in episode three, I believe. They 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 mention it. They don't show it only right. because Lan is a fucking beast. And yeah, Nineve tur- Nineve rather turns to him and says, "You know, this is I gonna hurt. Bro. That you yeah. know, the the water bond makes you feel what she can feel. Like this is going to hurt." And she fucking pops that pus bubble. Yeah, he just doesn't move yeah, doesn't yeah, make yeah. a facial expression because he's the fucking boss the other thing and, i love about him is that he we saw moraine fuck up a shitload of trollocs with her magic but he's just out there with a fucking sword that's it. oh hell yeah love and that. the best part about it is because they're so bonded and connected and they have such a long history together of being these tight you know two going on this journey to fulfill the prophecy and look for the dragon reborn and all this when they do the fight scene at the end and she's just doing the magic, she's just kind of like moving her head out of the way with, and he's coming from behind her and swinging the sword. Like yep. How connected they are is just everything I imagined in the book just and more. Like it was just so good to see it because we're in the age of TV right now, like the golden age of TV. And we're seeing the cinematography, the freaking dude, the, like how detailed the swords themselves are. Like right. just everything about it is so cool. And I just, I'm all in on any time lands on the screen because he's just such a badass. So Kyle and Luke, let me ask you this question. Do you think they'll bring it into play in the show? The fact that in the books, they talk about how he's pretty much like camouflaged all the time with his robes. I just think that they'll never bring up that they're camouflaged robes because it's not practical to do it in the TV show. That money is better used in other places, but just for a little bit of context in the books, warders have cloaks that basically they're called color shifting cloaks it almost looks like you're seeing through them when they when they wear them they reflect light kind of in such a way that they almost seem somewhat invisible they mention a lot when they talk about it is that people feel like a little nauseous almost if you stare at them for too long because it fucks with your vision so much that you start to feel whack but it's just not i would say worth obviously yeah. they have fucking oodles of cash but i have um, a feeling that it'll just be one of those things where they're like holy shit where'd you come from bro like <laughs> Yeah, and he's it's, it's just not I don't think it's one of the it's just not worth it. Yeah, Luke, I think it was you brought up the fact that, you know, we're talking about well, like Kyle said it, I think with Egwene, where we're talking about the fact that now that she's finding out she can 
use it's called the one power yes yeah she may be able to use the one power and we're already starting to see glimpses of it and moraine explains you know that she doesn't have to be a wisdom she's using the one power she's just using it in a certain way so should we assume that at some point Nynaeve's going to be a freaking badass with the one power too or Moraine does explain it to Gwen how they have what it's called in the in the two rivers. They talk to it about. I don't know, remember exactly if it's speaking to the wind yes. or listening, listening to the wind, listening yeah. to the wind. And she tells her that that's not you guys just being weird. Like that is you guys using the one power. Right. And you do find out that we even see a clip where Nynaeve is teaching her Gwen this is how to do it. So that's kind of like a subtle hint that Nynaeve can also do it. I don't think right. that's a spoiler to say that. Cool. That's what I figured. I really like that twist, though, to Nynaeve. How do you pronounce it? Nynaeve. I say my my audiobook says Nynaeve. Nynaeve. Okay. I really like that twist, though, when you assume when she gets pulled off by the truck that she's just fucking dead. And then the I think it's the end of episode two when she's holding the knife to Moraine, right? Yeah, to land. To land. Like, yeah. You're going to tell me where those fucking kids are right now. Like, that was just so that was a great little twist wasn't that, that episode three that she comes back I it might have been even episode, episode three two. so that's the end of episode two the last scene is land drags moraine out okay. puts her up against the rock and then nine there but the, and fact the that, start of episode three we get the flashback to what yes, how nine yes. the reason from I, when she got drug yes. away to how she got back the reason to I brought us. it up was because chase who's not on the pod right now said that like was talking when, in between the episodes and stuff, and even maybe even a little bit in the beginning of episode two, he thought Nynaeve was just dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, absolutes. Yeah, I didn't know really because I mean, spoiler alert. You know, we talked, we had the opportunity to talk to her via Amazon Prime during the press junket, and you assume she's top build, so she's not going to be killed off like that. But if you're just watching the show blind, like especially Dave. I was almost thinking like, well, now we need a new wisdom and it's going to be Egwene, you know, and here's her chance. Like, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And shout out to Nynaeve for sneaking up on Lan in the first place. Like that already yeah. shows for me, at least her power ranking, because I feel like Lan would not be the kind of guy to let someone sneak up from behind. Lo and behold. Good catch. Yeah. 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 And yeah. He, he does not let that go. It's like, how the fuck did she do it? Yeah, yeah. I love how she's like, if you're going to ask, just ask. And he's like, and he asks, she's like, I didn't say I was going to answer. bro. Yeah, she <laughs> is, dude. She is a great character. She is such a badass chick that obviously they, to go almost out of their way to show it. Yeah. In the first three episodes, but she is a boss. And, yeah. yeah she, me too. Even from episode one, they did a really good job because when Lan and Moraine enter the wine spring in, in episode one, and everyone's kind of like silent looking around and Nynaeve is the one who stands up and puts her hand right to her little sword dagger. And mm-hmm. it's like, aim yourself stranger. Like she doesn't fuck around. Yeah. She's very protective. She knows her role is the wisdom. She is great. And she also, I mentioned earlier that Rand, is kind of like that vocal opponent to Moraine in episode two, especially. But that's because Nynaeve isn't there. When Nynaeve comes back and Moraine is actually unconscious, but she is like, I don't fucking trust you motherfuckers. Like, oh, yeah. I'm helping her out so that you guys can lead me to my kids, basically, so I can help them. That's and another just point to add on to that is if, if Dave, if you didn't like pick up on this and Jimmy, you might already know she's like f- at least five years ish older than the rest of the main cast. Right. And that's more important in the books because like 16 to like 21 means like 21. You're probably going to die in 10 years because, you know, yeah. you get was, diarrhea, you're dead. Or whatever. I was thinking about <laughs> that. Too. I was thinking about that, too, in regards to like the immaturity of them. Like, you know, the, the life expectancy at this point in time is like 50 that's years, what, maybe dude, like in this time, <laughs> it's like 30. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, it's also important, especially in the books. And I'm pretty sure they are talking about in the show that she is looked down upon because they just assume that she's not the wisdom because she's so young. You know, she doesn't get the respect because she's young. Mm. She's still, she's definitely still like relatively young, but she's older than the rest. Right. Of right. Yeah. And how about her? I mean, she kills a trial like solo dolo. What yeah. do you think Dude, about that? Was, that was crazy. Shit, that scene that, was awesome. Talking was about the only few that like soloed one of them. If I, I mean, okay, so Land, Perrin and his Rain. girlfriend kind of did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But still, like, that's an impressive feat to the, for the most part. I mean, it gives all of our homies props because every single one of them had the bravery to go up against them. I mean, most of them started fighting. Matt's the only one who kind of ran away, but then he ran towards his sisters to save them. So it really does show the bravery because a lot of people were running and screaming. 
especially not even Egwene at the time when it was going to happen, when the, tro- the Trollocs came running in, it was like, what do you got to fight them with? And they were like, fuck it, we're fighting. You know, we're, we're in here. I thought I thought they made them all badasses. Just really quickly, I want to just shout out two characters that I also really liked. Tom the Glee Man, just because there's there's an aura about him to me that makes him seem like he's obvious. Like you said, like characters, if you get introduced to their name, are probably going to come back. So I think he's going to come back. But there was like an interesting aura to him that I feel like I'm peaked to the point where it's like, okay, what's this man's deal? Mm-hmm. And so I, I really like Tom as a character. And then um, the white cloak guy who is the slayer of Aes Sedai people in the like South, at least. Yeah, he has, of Aes Sedai, dude, he had seven was, of the eight. Oh, he's awesome. going to be an ass, dude. So I can already tell I'm not going to like him that yeah. much, but I can already tell he's a little bit of a badass in the same sense. So that's, I'm interested. that's an interesting two characters right there because Tom Marilyn. I love his name too. Yeah. It's such he a gets, Tom Marilyn. Yeah, what a great name. It. He gets introduced <laughs> and he's kind of a trickster. He does help them out. So you think he's a good guy. And then we get the white cloak who is from the get go. You kind of are introduced to him as a villain. He's a yeah. So yeah. You can tell that that's kind of the white cloaks are this other faction that we don't really know anything about them. We know that they're against the Aes Sedai, but also, do we know if we trust the Aes Sedai? I don't know if we trust them yet, so it's kind of who's right here. That, that, that is a very yeah. interesting dynamic. That is very interesting because the Aes Sedai, I was expecting to just be assumed that they're the good guys, but throughout the first three episodes, they have the dark, and, you, and the book, what I've read so far, there's the dark tone to them and everyone assumes that they're untrustworthy or, or they broke the world pretty much. It just reminds me of the Witcher again, like how Witchers are at least maybe not generally are very good people, but Geralt is a good guy and he gets shit on all the time wherever he goes for being a Witcher. It's and I have that same feel with the eyes to die right now. So I was pointing it out when we were watching it because I just love world building when it's done really well. And I love the idea of factions, right? Definitely think that from what I understand, the children of the light, like these white cloak people are see themselves as like the guardians of the world and the Aes Sedai are, what would you say, that they're evil? Like they think that they're evil? Oh yeah, the white cloaks think that Aes Sedai are like evil witches, servants of the dark can't be trusted need to eliminate them so the white cloaks still are anti-dark friends though yeah the white cloaks have a weird kind of allegiance yes. to just themselves basically where they think that everyone who isn't them should bow it's basically yeah. like the chi- um what, what's the name of the faction the the, the sparrows and yeah the yeah yes. yeah it's like even though like cersei was like enabling them and stuff they still say like everyone's underneath us you listen to us yeah or you're in the wrong they're like a pretty yeah, prototypical just kind of religious zealot exactly. militant force right that has obviously you can tell they have a little bit of clout on the continent mm-hmm. but just you got some I mean, nice ass uniforms dude I keep that shit clean get back to tom Marilyn very quickly and just curious jimmy what you had thought about him in his appearance in the show because i've read some of the book yeah or yeah, so that was I actually for a second was confused when you guys brought him up because I didn't have his name memorized from the show and I was putting him in perspective in my head from the book because in the book he shows up pretty early on in the right village. In the yeah, he's there for the for the attack of the trolls oh, really? in the okay. beginning. So which I was like, did they fucking cut my boy? Yeah, little, yeah. And he I'm, I'm telling you right now from what I've seen so far of him and i'm not even going to think about the village stuff because i mean the book stuff because yeah in the village you know he's cool guy he's cool he's messing with them he's juggling he's and he's a little bit of a badass but he doesn't do anything yet in my eyes so seeing him in the show i can feel like i might think he's one of my favorite characters based on what based on what i've seen already like straight up i'm in the same boat jimmy and he does have if i'm not mistaken our first and only i think human on human kill in the first three episodes. And it was awesome. Yeah. Every other death happens to a shadow spawn. It happens to a Trolloc, essentially. Right. And Tom is the only person that kills a person. Second, technically parent. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Ac- so accidentally, true. though. Totally yeah. accidental. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, this is a good Carnival Row throwback for Kyle and Jimmy. What I pictured before I it even looks like him. Yeah. Dude, I thought it was. So when I when I'm reading the book and stuff and I picture Tom Marilyn, I picture a little bit older than the character and a little bit more white and he always says he's got like his he blows out his mustache and stuff so i yeah. thought he was more like the guy that teaches i forget his name that teaches jonas yep. the little dudes yeah yep. I literally the little dudes 
in my head as Tom Maryland. Do you know? Hundred percent. And like he doesn't. Carnival he kind of looks like him from Carnival Row. He's got the little imps. He's the one. The little dudes. Jonas and oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. He's he's kind of yeah. I thought he was Laura Layla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he had some really cool parts in just a little bit of time where he's interacting with Rand and Matt. And he you could see that he's like he's really he's a trickster. He has the, the quick hands. He steals the, the coin. But you can also tell he's a really good guy based on the scene with Matt and the dead body. And he explains who that person is. He also steps into a bit of a role that Moraine not purposely vacates and where Moraine and Lan are these two people that come in and know basically everything about the world and are Evansfield five don't know shit once they leave right. the village. And now Tom is kind of has Matt and Rand and now they can kind of see him almost as a mentor or at least at the very least a guide to what the fuck is going on because they don't know where they are. They don't know what happens if they go West, if they go East. So he is definitely a good person for them at the end of episode three to tag along with. Speaking of really quickly, that episode three ending was wild. We got introduced to this guy who just claims to be the dragon reborn and I'm just sitting here like I have to wait a month and a half for this. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, I just want to pitch that in just because I really enjoyed that. That season. It, three, it's true, man. Really it was a banger. We haven't really mentioned the idea of the dragon and stuff and like who it actually is and what they're leading you to believe and what you guys think. But I think we're going to save most of that talk for the actual yeah. deep dive. But just brand. It's just such a cool concept of the idea of just, you know, the wheel of time starts to become not literal, but like kind of literal like it's a wheel that you're you're it's reincarnation of of this essence of a person who's going to be chosen to fight the 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 evil shadow who's also you know going through these reincarnations and i just can't wait to see how they to see like if they're if they're going to make it obvious if they're going to if they're going to try and play the mystery game for new fans and stuff like that but whatever they end up doing i'm i'm buying into it and just the idea of whoever's going to be going face to face with the dark one because there was one moment where you see rand having a dream and yeah and you i think it's the first flash of the dark one like with the fire in his eyes and stuff and mm. then right there out loud i think it was like chase is like oh so like obviously it's him and then like a second later they rand all saw wakes it. up yeah, yeah. And, they're, and they're all like well i dreamt it too and then the chase is like okay well that died yeah yeah <laughs> also they have perrin has a dream as well and perrin wakes up in the bed and he's walking down the hallway and he yeah. like flashes between him and the dark one yep and then he flashes back to perrin and he walks out so they're all kind of having these That's, dreams yeah. Dude, you know what i mean maureen's like if you see him again you let me know me. yeah yeah, exactly. yeah that scene was actually like scary like i was i felt like i for a second i was watching like the haunting of hill house right there when he was going stream yeah parents oh, yeah. dude we were we were facing some hardship over here at, at our house and I, I was right when the video started buffering and we had to like pause oh for like my. 15 minutes because <laughs> it couldn't get to load and we were freaking out i'm literally screaming at luke i'm like get this thing to fucking work because i know something huge is about to just happen and i'm like if I'm watching that episode by myself, I'm definitely shitting the brick a little bit. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm just terrified. It was, it was scary. It was loud. And he was like yeah. ferocious. He looks like he's going to be great. And Luke, you're talking about the literal wheel of time. I'm sure we're going to get into this more during the deep dive. But for the two of you, were you expecting to see the prologue for the book one on screen? The first chapter? I honestly, until this exact moment for like, didn't didn't remember that they forgot the prologue because the prologue yeah. is so important but how i see it is they'll probably just do it in a either like a vision or a cold opening at some point maybe yeah. in the finale episode or they could end the season with it but right that part i don't even know much about it but i know it's going to be incredibly freaking important but yeah like you're saying it's the reincarnation and and at the end of the prologue he says yeah you you're not going to get away so easily i'll see you again you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah we can kind of trampoline off the this discussion of the dreams and the the dark one with we do get introduced to a lot of there's a lot of different names for a lot of this stuff so shadow spawn is kind of a general term for every kind of being that serves the dark one so we Does have that seen include humans no no the, so the short like answer is no comparable to like an orc in lord of the rings like kind of that call it in the show the eyeless it's also mm. a fade or a half man like they're all the same name for that kind of creature and then there's the trollocs who are just like the soul, foot soldiers that you saw all over the episode and they're they're shadow spawn we've been introduced so far in these three episodes to two forms of shadow spawn yeah. so we've seen the trollocs 
which are kind of those half human ish, half like dog, like, wolf, goat, everything yeah. fucking yeah. thing under the planet. Scary as fuck. And then we have the the Lord Voldemort looking motherfucker who goes by. They call him both a fade and an eyeless. So that's a common theme throughout a lot of the show is that things have a lot of different names. A lot of different cultures refer to different things and myths like this in different ways. But for the most part, they'll talk about them as fades and eyeless. Eyeless is fairly obvious because they have no eyes. Um, so fades kind of are a little bit a rung above the Trollocs themselves. You can kind of tell throughout the episodes that he is a little bit of the leader. He They part for him as he kind of walks over the bridge, things yep. like that. But we've also been exposed to in episode three, once we meet Maya and yes. learn more about her, and then eventually she gets a dagger through the throat from Tom. Not expecting her turn. That there's also humans that are on the side of the dark one. So yeah. those are called dark friends. So we have shadow spawn are kind of the creatures, and then dark friends are humans that are kind of sleeper cell agents of the dark. It, I thought it was a good idea for them to expose us to that mm-hmm. at the end of episode three, or at least in these first three episodes, to kind of now get us cook into the idea of well, is this motherfucker a dark friend? Is this a person a dark so, friend? Yeah. Exactly, Jimmy. What you just said is the whole point. The fact that you just said not expecting her yeah. to every single person in the world could potentially be a dark friend. Right. I'm and I'll the human side of that. Like the, and, that it's just littered throughout this world. And so that's why you can never feel safe. You don't know who, what character is going to turn on you. What character it means. Well, some characters might be children, you know, they might follow the white cloaks and the children of the light and stuff and not even fuck with the dark friends. But if you, they find out you're with Aes Sedai, they turn you. Like, yeah. There's so much going on here. Just don't trust anybody is my advice. Yeah. And I will say I want some answers. I can't wait because obviously I just said I wasn't expecting the heel turn from Maya. But at the same time, I was like, oh, shit. When she was like talking to Rand and she was like, oh, I should have put the braid in. You like that better. And it's like she has information about him. Yeah. I'm so excited. That ending to episode three, I literally looked at Luke and I was like, why do we have to wait two months for this? <laughs> yeah. That was my main hesitation of watching the episodes was that I looked at the calendar and was like, do I have the strength to last yeah. five weeks now until you, the newest episode? You've lasted years waiting well, I, for it. That's so. true. But now I had a little bit of a taste. Yeah, you got that taste. That'll probably wrap up our instant reaction. We did um, not expect it to be this long. Yeah, we just, just I, if that doesn't show how much we love this already, like come on. Well, it was yeah. it's a tough balance between getting like really excited and diving into things and just kind of giving some surface level stuff. But we kind of just kind of rolled through all the characters, um, a little bit of some big events, but we'll dive more into a lot of that in the next episode that comes out. So stay tuned for that. Thanks for bearing with us through kind of one of the first times you've ever really done an episode like this, especially with a combination of subject matter experts and newbies on an instant reaction. So this was honestly really fun for me. I hope it was fun for you guys. That will end this episode. So once again, we are Bingetown TV. You can catch us at Bingetown TV on Twitter and Instagram. We have a website, surprise, surprise, BingetownTV.com. We also have a Patreon. If you can just search Bingetown TV on Patreon. If you want to get access to some exclusive content, some interviews that we do, uh, a lot of video stuff that we've done as well. Um, We cover an unbelievable amount of shows at this point. I mean, shit, by the time this episode comes out, we'll probably have about 165 podcast episodes dropped. So mostly sci-fi, fantasy shows. If you want to see something from us, hit us up on one of those socials. That's all I got. Once again, we are Bingetown TV, and thanks for listening. The Wheel of Time Turns. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.